Picture yourself at a lively farmer's market where vendors display a cornucopia of fresh produce, treats, and other goods, each with their own unique price tag. From the kettle corn stand to the pupuseria, the most successful vendors understand their customers' needs and adapt their pricing strategies accordingly. Those with the best pricing strategies draw in more patrons and boost their sales. But the pricing strategy for one selling sweet treats may not work as well for one selling fresh vegetables. Now imagine that this lively farmer's market is, in fact, the SaaS marketplace. Companies offering their software services must choose the right pricing strategy to attract customers and maximize their revenue. And we're talking more than just undercutting the competition of your fellow vegetable stand. In recent years, usage-based pricing has emerged as a compelling option, allowing customers to pay for what they actually use, fostering trust and increasing customer satisfaction. Enter John Griffin, CRO of Meter, an expert in usage-based pricing who has honed his skills through years of experience and success. John sat down with Neil Desai at SaaS Talk 2022 to demystify this pricing strategy and share his invaluable insights. John will ensure that you can harness the power of usage-based pricing to drive your SaaS business to new heights. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, John Griffin talks to Neil Desai about usage-based pricing. They talk about seeing pricing as a design problem, best practices when preparing for scale, buying signals John sees at Meter, predictability and retention with usage-based pricing, and implementing usage-based pricing in go-to-market motions. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes for an in-depth field guide focused on understanding usage-based pricing. Then, when you're leaving your five-star review of the podcast, tell us what resonated most about the advice John had to share. First up, John and Neil talk about seeing pricing as a design problem. So John, we're going to talk, we have a lot to talk about today. Everything from metered billing, pricing strategies, POG and whatnot. I'd love to get some quick context into how'd you end up here? Like, why are you working on this, right? What's your background? How did meter even get started? Okay. And so I hope I don't take the too long way around this. By way of background, I'm a data engineer. I'm into data. I'm basically pretty passionate about it. I spent a lot of my early career working there. Ended up getting into sales or whatever. But round about 2002, I was working for a UK systems integrator and we were building out the online TV portfolio for a lot of UK companies like B Sky B, Channel 4 On Demand, ITV, people like that. And I came across this legendary fellow called Griffin Parry, who became a good friend of mine. And we built out that TV company together. And then we decided we would set up a company together with another guy called Gabriel Page. And we set up GameSparks back in 2013. And the reason we went from there from a media company was is that games was, I guess, had a lot, to, a lot in common with the kind of media systems we built previously. Griffin and I founded it with Gabriel Page. It was an iron Irish company that was based in both Dublin, sorry, it was an Anglo-Irish company based in both Dublin and also a York in the UK. The connection with that company and the reason it's even relevant is because we deployed usage-based pricing and we learned about how hard all of that was. And we kind of made every single mistake that you can make with usage-based pricing. Now that company, kind of its primary go-to-market was a PLG motion combined with usage-based pricing. So it grew super quick. Like we got thousands and thousands of customers really fast. 
fast. Now, not all of them paying uber amounts of cash, but it started growing fast. We got a lot of customers that way using that motion. And then AWS bought us. We kind of got an opportunity to then within the AWS family, I think they're the vanguards. They're the leaders in usage-based pricing. You know, those and a couple of others like Snowflake, Twilio, etc. AWS really set the standard. And there was a whole bunch that we got to learn from how they did usage-based pricing internally. And we were bought early as well. So, so basically, Griff and I, we had a kind of craving or a draw to go again. And it kind of just suddenly dawned on us that what we'd learned most about usage-based pricing, AWS was teaching us how to do it properly, that if we were going to go again, let's pick in this really gnarly problem. Let's take what we learned from AWS with this kind of revenue operating system that they have, and let's take it out to market because we could see that usage-based pricing was a significantly growing trend. And so that's how we got into it. That's why we're here. That's awesome. I feel so at Paddle and at Profitwell, we've been talking about pricing and packaging for nearly a decade now. And I feel like we are limited by the tools our industry has to offer. So for so many years, like the things we've wanted to do on our pricing page, whether it's the pricing model, how we bring these to markets, we're limited by just like, you know, what a Stripe offers or what Azora offers by the tools of our industry. So I'm excited to talk to you to learn more about like what Meter is doing to actually enable founders to unlock a bunch of new billing motions, right? I think our industry is going through this moment of like, we've defined PLG, but no one is just PLG, but there's a hybrid models, PLG, sales assisted, perhaps usage-based, but even within usage-based, there's consumption-based and tiering and all this. How do you think about when you have companies come to you and say, hey, we are thinking about transforming our pricing into a usage-based model. Where do you even start? What does that mean to you guys? The first problem that everybody encounters with kind of transforming their pricing model is a design issue. And I think, you know, Meter is a platform. It's not really a consultancy. So we're not really the pricing experts per se. I mean, you've got basically your own founder, Patrick Campbell. Now he's a absolute pricing guru. We also partner with a bunch of guys like James Wood from Inside Partners or a whole bunch of other people from Simon Kucher background. But the very first problem everybody encounters is a design problem. And, you know, pricing is, is generally a hard thing to do to design correctly. Simplicity tends to basically be the right route for most people to take. But that is very much the first thing that people will encounter. Most of the time, we onboard with people that already know they want to deploy a consumption-based pricing model. And so very likely, they're likely to have come across the first challenges associated with that. And that's really where kind of meter comes into its own. The first problem that everybody has is getting significant volumes of data in whatever format it is created or generated from the various things that they're trying to measure and get that into a, a, a kind of format that they can apply measurements or pricing metrics to. But that's the first problem we solve. We provide a very, very open platform for them to define exactly uh, the type usage data that they want to send. And we're able to do that at huge scale. So that's the other thing that kind of catches everybody by surprise is sometimes the volumes of, of data you're talking about is really, really significant. And so it's not everybody that can apply rating in near real time to 100 billion events coming at you really fast. So that takes specialist software skills. And so a lot of our team came out of AWS. They had significant experience at building these big scalable systems um, that were able to basically do that kind of thing. So, so that's problem number one. I think problem number two is is really basically being able to integrate with other pricing mechanisms that you may already have in your company. A lot of people will have significant investments in a deal desk or a CRM platform or a CPQ platform like Salesforce or whatever. They may want to maintain that ability to kind of keep their sales teams using those systems for the purpose of pricing. Basically, one of the challenges we solve in media is that we've got to play very, very nicely with those kinds of platforms. We've got to integrate with them really well. We've got to allow them to basically ingest pricing into, into the meter platform in order to be able to 
apply the rating. So integrations is, an, is, a, is a significant part of basically what we have to do. After that, you know, I think one of the key differences between us and say some of the other players in this area is that we really saw the whole thing as a data problem. So it's really about ingested usage data and in fact cost data and then kind of binding it with pricing data from other systems and being able to basically solve the problem of say for example billing or spend calculation really efficiently. So one of the things that we kind of saw very upfront was the fact that this is a really gnarly data problem. And so we invested quite heavily in the ability uh, within our company um, to basically process data, both in terms of engineering, but it's also the analytical opportunities that, that are waiting for you afterwards. What you could do with all of this usage data, it emanates signals that basically can help your sales team increase their revenue by maybe up to 30% or something like that. So we've invested heavily in the kind of tools to be able to take all the signals that come from this usage data and trigger alerts and things like that to sales teams such that they can respond to patterns. Next, John talks about best practices when preparing for scale. One thing I was thinking about as you were highlighting the three things there was like, this isn't your first rodeo. You've seen firsthand the challenges uh, having data at the scale can bring. And what are some of the things you're doing up front this time around to prepare for that scale? Maybe if other founders are starting on a similar business or product that they know like the data challenge is imminent, like what do you, what are some best practices, if any, come to mind around like preparing for that scale? Because I think uh, for a lot of companies, it, you get to that stage and by the time you realize it's a problem, it's too late. And then you spend six months refactoring everything and by then you've missed out on something else, right? So any advice for folks on, on, on the earlier end on like what to do at the beginning? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because like, say for example, our first time around, we didn't go the kind of significant kind of VC funding routes. We, we kind of raised money from a few other kind of sources like angels and things like that. When you do go the VC route, which you've done here, you definitely have got access to more capital. And so you kind of start off with a bigger vision from the very beginning that basically we're going to build a big machine here. We are going to lead this particular area around usage-based pricing. And so everything we've done has been with that intent in mind. And so everything from your hiring, you hire great people. You don't hold back in that. Your hiring plans are probably a little bit more aggressive than you'd like them to be. It's, it's tough. It's a risk. Operationally, I mean, thankfully, a lot of our team, as I said, came in from AWS. So there was a lot of skills to be able to design a platform operationally that was going to scale up to, to what we intended to do. But similarly, in the organization side, we brought in great people from the very beginning that could go out and attract the talent that we needed to attract and basically organizationally grow in the same way we are operationally. And so then, you know, the big risk is you're going to take a product out to market. We have to go through the same challenge everybody else does and go, whoop. Have we built something that the market wants? Thankfully, the early signals are that, yes, we built something fantastic. And so we're getting customers through at a great rate. So that's really where you're going to manage that balance, isn't it? You want to bring on great people. You want to keep on doing that. Operationally, you want to be best in class. That's what your customers are going to demand from you. And then you got to keep winning those customers, which is really our kind of job and the go-to-market part of the company. And so it's a challenge, but you just set out with that intent in mind. So if there's advice for people that are basically following, I think it's, yeah, just don't lose sight of that. Like, we've only got one life. Go big or go home. No, I think mean, that's terrible. Not everybody should do that, but for many people, that's the path they're going to take. No, I think that's that's helpful in like being intentional, right? Around like be intentional. Be intentional, right? Like, I think that's what you're trying to say. It's like regardless of what that is, and for some it's a big venture back business, for others it's a bootstrapped side project. But being clear around what that outcome you want will help drive. Do I take money? How much? When? What are the people I'm hiring? So on and so forth. Right. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's all right. I think it's all about hiring people, hiring the right people, hiring well. 
Speaking of hiring, how how do you think about that in this market? I mean, it's we're always constrained. Well, everyone has constraints from a resourcing perspective and, f- and finding great. How do you how do you try? Like, what's the value proposition that you pitch to recruit great people? I think the first part of that question is is how do we feel about hiring right now? I think unlike everybody else responding to this kind of dip in the world's uh, economy and stuff like that, we're very conscious that we got to keep our foot in the gas. We're going ahead. We're putting the foot on the pedal and and we're running at the problem. We think it's the right time to do that. We are a lot earlier stage than you guys. We're two years old at this point. Kind of taking your foot off the gas is the wrong move for the business. Thankfully, you know, we've got enough resources behind us. And so, for example, we're just about, or we're just going through the process of stepping up our recruitment in North America and building a North American team. So we, we were very consciously just kind of keeping the foot on the gas. And one doesn't want to be careless. But Thankfully, you know, you monitor very closely the rate at which you're acquiring new customers and things like that. You look at all of these things on a daily basis and you make decisions based on that. And so right now, I I believe we should just keep going. And now John talks about buying signals he sees at Meter. Well, it's good that like you're well-resourced to kind of accelerate during that time, right? I want to circle back to usage-based billing. At Paddle, we, we talk a lot about this like ethos of doing it for you or doing it for our customers. And I think we've been partners for a little while now. And I think one of the ways that Beater stands out is like providing the tooling that take a lot of the, what, two or three years ago would have been five engineers doing manually off their plate in a really easy to use scalable platform. First question I had was like, one, what are trends you're seeing in usage-based billing both with your current customers and what things that your customers are asking for within this broad kind of world of like transitioning from a perhaps let's say feature-based or a standard perhaps like value metric to a consumption or user-based model who's doing really well right now and like what are some of the trends that we should be mindful of heading into next year yeah so i think there was a couple of parts to that question in terms of who's doing really well i mean a lot of the companies that we've seen go public and we get insights into their actual numbers have done extraordinarily well with usage-based pricing. And so those are the pin-up children, you know, the snowflakes of the world, the Twilio's, the Datadogs, Stripes. And, uh, you know, those are some of the pin-up children at usage-based pricing. And some of the things that basically really stand out is the kind of net dollar retention that they're able to achieve. I, I think the figure that I heard from Snowflake, at least one of the last set of results that we looked at, was something like 158%, okay? Which means that if they do nothing, they're getting 58% growth year on year. And so that's one of the major advantages of deploying pricing models like this. They generally tend to land or lead to better net dollar retention. So all of those pin-up children, like the Twilio's, Datadog, Snowflakes, et cetera, they're doing a lot of our advertising for us. The trends that we're therefore seeing are that as soon as companies basically get to about the kind of 20 million plus ARR, they really start thinking about the pricing and take it a lot more seriously. Many of them are switching towards it. So I think in 2021, our understanding from, I think, um, Kyle Poyer, who you had up here earlier, uh, was at 34% of SaaS com- B2B SaaS companies that deployed usage-based pricing. I think that's growing by at least 11% year on year. And I think in these recessionary times, I don't see any reason for that to slow down. There's a whole bunch of things driving it. So the desire for better kind of economics for your business are probably one of the significant drivers. But there's a whole bunch of companies that also have to because their end customer isn't any longer a person or the person using their software 
it's another piece of software. You know, with automation and the API economy, and then with the spread of AI and ML, these are real driving forces and aren't going away just because we're in a recession. So I think we're pretty confident that um, the adoption of usage-based pricing for all of these reasons is going to continue uh, for the long haul, particularly as companies, as I said, get to 20 million AR and above. I think they really need help doing it. An earlier part of your question asked about the kind of effort that it took to kind of roll out this type of pressing pricing previously. There's another VC that's very active in this sector in the States. And so we got some figures off them. They did a big survey and they were able to show that companies trying to roll out, a company of about 100 million ARR spends about 500K minimum to try and launch usage-based pricing. And then it costs them about 300 grand on a kind of recurring basis year on year. So that's a ton of investment for, for those companies. And so there's an evolution now of platforms like Meter that have come about that really simplify that problem. Hey, look, it's a gnarly problem. There's no getting away from it. So we simplify, but it's, it's an investment. It's investment across the whole company. But a platform like Meter really, really, really simplifies that journey. And I think one of the ways we simplify is because we tend to help companies approach the problems they're going to face in sequence. So the first problem everybody has after, remember we talked about pricing design. So Meter, I guess, helps a lot less with the, the overall design of pricing than it does with the second problem, which is operational billing. So that's the first kind of gnarly problem we help our customers with. We just get that stood up and help customers launch 100% automated, error-free billing year in year. But as soon as they solve that, what happens next? They need everybody to be able to see the data. When I say everybody, they need their sales department to be able to see what customers are using their platform. What signals are coming off the, uh, the data? What does it tell you about the buying potential for a particular customer? And all of this data is coming straight off the usage, okay? And it gives you so many signals. Like I literally think our goal, our mission is 30% improvement on sales revenues because of buying signals that are emitted from usage data by people that are on them. Other people that need the data. Your customers need the data, of course. They log on to dashboards. They want to see exactly how much they're spending. They want predictability. Being able to forecast the customer spend based on their usage is an important uh, characteristic. Who else needs the data? Customer success. They're all the time having to put up with billing queries from customers, not just technical queries, but billing queries. Why did you bill me this? So customer success needs to be able to see that data. Finance needs to be able to see the data because they base their forecasts off the back of it. So anyway, that's I'm probably totally getting off track here as one does in these types of things. But yeah. tell me more about these signals that you guys generate, what, what what does that mean in a practical standpoint? But basically, generally your customer's usage isn't just a nice, beautiful, linear thing that just goes month and month and that's 2%. Generally, you get a lot of like spikes in usage and you get basically your slowdowns, God forbid. And so these things all tell you basically what you need to know as a salesperson in order to be able to respond to it. Now, the other thing I'd say, and it's really one of the biggest trends that you see in usage, but it's been kicking around for a while, is, is that nobody really usage-based pricing any longer without the equivalent kind of credit system or prepayments model or commitments or there's all kinds of different versions of it minimums and things like that now when customers on a prepayment you can literally the usage data tells you how fast they're burning that up now that tells the sales rep basically what they should be selling to the customer in the next buying cycle. If your customer is using up a prepayment commitment too fast, as a sales guy, I'm going to call them up and I'm going to get a bigger commitment. I might offer them a lower rate just to make a bigger commitment next time to me. And that helps the company's MRR, ARR, 
helps me as a sales rep earn my commissions. Anomaly detection, if a customer does spike in usage, that could, that's by the way a problem that happens a lot in clouds like AWS and Google or whatever. Customers get a nasty sticker shock when they basically see their usage just goes up a hundredfold. They're like, they could churn. So what you want to do as a rep is you want to get ahead of that. You want to call the customer and go, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. I will shave like 30% off this for you if you just make this commitment to me for another 12 months or something like that. Everybody wins. The customer feels okay about it. Okay in the end. The rep feels great about it. And the company gets more predictable MRR, ARR from the, from the customer. Next up, John and Neil talk about predictability and retention with usage-based pricing. I was going to ask about that because one of the things I've noticed are people are on a high level concerned about or nervous about in a usage-based model is predictability on both ends. Finance teams want to know how much they're going to make or how much they're going to pay. If a company isn't on top of it, like you just described, it can be really, really challenging. How do you think about that both like from a retention perspective? Because when I want to calculate my NRR and it's usage-based, I kind of know, but I don't really know, right? So how, like, how do I go about that? One of the kind of objections that I guess a lot of people put forward about adopting usage-based pricing, both for you as a supplier and for your customer, it doesn't wash with me completely from the customer side of things because usage-based pricing is so popular because it aligns value with what a customer pays so well. And that is really the purpose of a pricing model. And so customers want to pay for what they use. They want to pay for it at the best possible rate. Predictability is very much a second concern. Now, it's an important concern, so don't get me wrong, but there are lots of ways that you can make models more predictable for them once you've decided, hey, you're on a model that better aligns with the value you get. So that's point number one, okay? But once you've got this, there's lots of things you can do. So one of the things is you can use the data you get to forecast accurately, okay? Way more accurately than you could do. Because again, with a lot of usage data, there's a lot of signal. And that does allow you to apply more accurate linear regressions than you could have basically done with not having usage data in the past. So I don't know how you forecast accurately a business that doesn't have this detailed usage data, but my God, with a lot of usage data, you get a lot better forecasting. But that's only part of it because the other end of it is these additional commercial models. Put in place minimum commitments, put in place prepayments, and suddenly the business gets as predictable. Overages aren't as good for you. They don't count as ARR or MRR. So as a sales team, you're constantly trying to look for ways to engage your customers and get them to not click into overages. So you should make overages slightly painful for the customer. Overages are bad, but you use them in a kind of creative way to tease them up into a slightly better commitment or prepayment the next time. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like the other departments that support the billing motion, right, CS, support, product, all have to shift their strategy too to support a user. It's not just like the rails and the pricing model, right? I think to your point, we're relying on like the entire customer lifecycle and all these other other teams need to do their part to enable and support a positive and, and, and valuable customer experience, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Really, I think the, the most significant difference between now and the old days was that when your customer signs the contract, that's the very beginning of your relationship with them, they can get up and leave at any point in time. But hopefully the combination of your product and the PLG motion you've got in place and the usage-based pricing, which is kind of like the, you know, the, the pricing equivalent of PLG in some ways, hopefully that ends up being making the whole thing stickier and so that they're not leaving you or they're not churning. But so really your relationship just begins at the point you sign a contract. And so after that, your customer success probably becomes your most important department is um, 
our customer successes here. Yep. They become your most important environment because what they're really responsible for doing is helping adoption. And they're helping penetration of the product, that making sure the customers are getting using the, the, the product in the best way they can, all of that kind of good stuff. And I think the dial-up and the focus on that kind of capability has really increased with the rollout of usage-based price and PLG. Well, the reason I love that is because the business makes more money when the customer uses the product more and they use the product more when they get more value from the product, right? So it, it aligns. The alignment is just perfect. Everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's so sticky, I think. You know, that's why it becomes so sticky. Now, you've got to watch out because, you know, there's the, the world is full of uh, stories about finance directors getting huge bills over time from companies that they're paying in a usage-based business. I mean, AWS know all about this. And then there are uh, swirling statistics about the amount of, um, say, services that are being paid for on a monthly basis, but they're not actually used in a production capacity. So I think what's really important to do is to be able to show your finance team a, a direct correlation between customers, both in acquisition and what they're using. And and the spend that you've got. One of the ways we help out with that is we actually, we also ingest cost data, which, you know, you don't see an awful lot of um, other people in this area doing. So we allow our customers to ingest cost data as well as usage. And so what you could do then is you could present a kind of uniform view to the finance department that basically shows why you've got these AWS cloud costs or GCP or whatever it is. And so you show great alignment between the margins that you're getting from your customers, the spend that they're having and then your own cost base. And that makes the whole thing just basically far more palatable for a CFO that's looking to cut costs. And now, John talks about implementing usage-based pricing in go-to-market motions. Something I've been thinking a lot about is I feel like usage-based billing has had PLG as like a tailwind in helping more and more companies drive adoption. And in reverse, it's PLG's gotten easier when you can align product usage with the actual billing motion. Where do you see SaaS heading, I don't know, five years from now? Obviously, we're going to have more usage-based billing than not, but are we having, a, like, the, is the PLG conversation misguided in that it's just a way that customers buy, not necessarily how they get value? Or, like, how do you think about the evolution of how we buy B2B SaaS? Here's a controversial thing. I don't think it can just all be about PLG. I think PLG and that whole kind of go-to-market motion is incredibly important. But the future of SaaS generally will be where one needs both motions. I don't see an enterprise sales motion going anywhere fast. I think the best companies and the most successful companies are the ones that basically deploy both kind of go-to-market motions. And, you know, we call that barbell. And so we will do that in Meter. Interestingly enough, we decided to bias the uh, enterprise sales motion and the partner-led motions before or above self-service. The reason being that our ICP was particularly, it's a large organization that are probably making 100 million ARR. The sales cycles, they require you know, professional enterprise sales motions that have existed of age. I think a lot of companies have become totally reliant on PLG motions where they've got really good product. I think like AWS is a classic example of this. They are excellent at PLG motions. You could argue that those sales teams in there, they've been spearing fish that have jumped into their boat for quite a long time. Um, are they as good at the kind of very competitive, hard to do enterprise sales? Do they know what a champion and a potentially buying customer is? Do they know how to go about winning one. I worry about that. What I would say to answer your question directly is the future in SaaS is 
Those two motions living in tandem, SaaS companies in general need to make sure they're as good at both. And I don't think the fact that you've usage-based, I think usage-based pricing as a kind of pricing design or philosophy is as useful in either motion. So there's no kind of bias towards one or the other there. I will also just add this one last point. I don't think usage-based pricing is, is going to be everybody. I mean, if I sell HR software, like there's a few of them kicking around the um, show, I can't see that not selling by number of employees for quite a long time. You know, I think the subscription models are going to persist. I think there's going to be hybrids. Yeah, just a lot more usage-based pricing going forward. Love it. Well, thanks, John. If people want to find more about you or Meter or anything usage-based billing, where should they go? Well, we got a great website called meter.com, and it's with the three, by the way. So it's not Methreader, it's it's Meter. So if you can go to meter.com, and actually we invest heavily in a lot of content marketing, just to help the industry generally understand about, you know, why usage-based pricing and then what are the challenges and how to overcome those. So there's a lot of good advice on there. So that's where I recommend people go. I'd also tip the hat to uh, Carl Poyer and OpenView. He's written the SaaS playbook for usage-based pricing. I think that's a remarkable good read. But if you go to meter.com and you go to the kind of content section, there is a kind of list of all of those things that everybody should read. I would strongly recommend you go there. Thank you very, very much. It was a real pleasure speaking to you. Now you're enlightened to the usage-based pricing strategy. Today, we talked about seeing pricing as a design problem, best practices when preparing for scale, buying signals John sees at Meter, predictability and retention with usage-based pricing, and implementing usage-based pricing in go-to-market motions. Make sure to give Protect the Hustle a five-star review and tell us what lesson John taught you from today's episode. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS.